Hey guys, for today's episode, I sit down with Shannon. Now, Shannon didn't want her last name revealed because she goes into some pretty difficult stuff from her childhood. And the truth is, is that this is kind of an untraditional episode because Shannon is not in foster care. She never was in foster care. She's not in the world of foster or adoption. But she did have early childhood trauma and she had trauma, abuse, and neglect throughout her childhood. And I thought that she would be a good guest because we always talk about how we end the foster care crisis. And a lot of those answers have been, we need to jump in and help the bio parents. We need to jump in and help the kids while they need the support before kids come into care. So I wanted to ask her, you know, what would have been helpful from your community back when you were experiencing the abuse? Could we have... Could the community have helped your mom? Would your mom have been receptive to that help? Like, what could we have done back then that would have been helpful? You know, should we have reported her situation to Department of Children and Families? Would that have been helpful? So I thought it would be interesting because although she was never in care, she very could have well been. Um, she definitely fit criteria to be removed. She just had never been reported to Department of Children and Families. So I wanted to look at it from the child who never went into care but did suffer complex trauma and ask her what would have helped. So I think this was a really great conversation. I hope that it will be helpful for you all to kind of understand the perspective of what a kid wants that is in tough situations growing up. All right, let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma, from foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond. We'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Hi, Shannon. How are you? Good. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on and agreeing to be on the podcast. I know that your story is a little bit different than other guests that we have on the podcast because other people are involved some way in the foster and adoption world, but I did feel like you had a interesting perspective um, specifically because you've had some trauma in your childhood and your path right now is to kind of help other youth that have experienced trauma. And so, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about what we could, what we could do for kids. How can we keep kids in their biological homes, how we can help biological parents, how we can help kids stay in their biological homes. So it makes sense to have somebody on the podcast that could have possibly been put in foster care had the trauma been reported um, and to kind of get from your point of view what might have helped. So I would love you to tell everyone who you are and where you're from if you want to share that and then about your childhood. So I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, California, and for until three years ago. (laughs) Um, 
and my mom, um, I knew my mom and dad, my mom and dad were together till about five, um, that I know of that people tell me, you know, you don't remember early things, but, um, and then, so she was a single mom. My dad was bipolar. And so he was dealing with his own mental issues. And so we really never were raised with my dad. Um, he, we would visit him. It wasn't where we couldn't be around him. It was just, he had his own kind of, I don't know, demons, if you want to say, um, to deal with because of his medicine and on and off medicine and things like that. So, so then, um, I grew up with my mom and we, I'm not sure how it started or when she met the first man who abused us, but, um, oh, I have a brother, um, a younger brother. We're about a year and a half apart. And so around, I think like nine, um, my mom met a man at work and um, he, he physically, emotionally, uh, pretty much any way you could think abused um, us and me sexually. And so um, that was a pretty rough um, time. And I was told many years later that it was after the actual, I told my mom that I was molested by him that we left. And in between that time, he I remember very clearly that he was in jail at one time because she made us go visit him. Mm. And I wonder, like, looking back, of course, and reflecting that why didn't my family say anything? Like, why didn't they ask more questions? Why? I mean, yeah, it's easy to hide the, you know, hitting and, oh, it's just spanking. It's bad behavior. And it was not but uh, it's easy to hide those things at home, right? But the whole, he was in jail <laughs> um, is a red flag to me that he was not, uh, something was going on. So then we ended up moving in with my great aunt, um, my mom's aunt and her house because she knew we needed a safe place to live. And I think she knew at the time that something was going on um, with us and that my mom just wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't that she wasn't taking care of us. She just wasn't able to really provide a stable home, right? Because she was a, a single mom. And so we lived with her and ended up very, very quickly after we moved in. And I think that they knew each other. Another man moved in and uh, he emotionally abused us to where it was screaming every day. We couldn't even talk to our mom because there was two rooms and a kitchen in this house where we lived. And so there was no like communal space. So if I wanted to talk to my mom, I had to knock on the door. And every single time I would get yelled at by him and just the downgrading of like worth my, my brother got, I would say more of the, you're worthless. You don't, you don't, you're just not a good person. And, um, that kind of treatment. And I was just yelled at because I was trying to talk to my mom, you know, kids trying to talk to their mom and, you know, tell them their day. And I was just yelled at. So it very, you know, 
as a child, you start to shut down. And so I basically watched TV. I was in my room. I um, spent as much time as I could with my friends <laughs> outside of the house and, um, and coped with food a lot as a child. And so that's kind of, um, yeah, the gist of my childhood. <laughs> so. Wow. So how did your mom respond to those boyfriends were treating you that way? Did she, you know, like, did you get a sense that she wanted to protect you? Did you get a sense that she was apathetic? Did you get a sense that she cared more about them than she did you? Like what, what was that dynamic? So she was really good at making excuses for them, both of them. And just kind of like, well, if you just behave, if you just did what he wanted you to, then it will be okay. And, or he's just tired from work or you're being too loud. And it's like, you, I was just being a kid, you know? So it's, right. uh, it, that part, she definitely is still in that making excuses for everyone if something comes up. Did she know that the sexual abuse was going on? So that was just one one incident that I, I can remember um, that it happened, but um, I blocked it out apparently until years later that I had told my mom and it came up to where I had mentioned something to her and she's just like, you told me. And I was just like, okay, so it's never been mentioned. No one ever brings it up again. It was literally, I told her, and then I found out through a friend of a friend who she told that um, that, that was when she left him and got a restraining order against him, the first one, yeah. Okay, and was she, what, he wasn't in jail for that though? No. No, he was Something not in different. jail for that because we saw him. He tried to come in contact with us again to say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, or I didn't do anything or whatever. I don't, you know, I do remember when we had moved from the apartment we were living with him that seeing him a couple more times and like call my mom calling the police because he was there. But it was never really explained to us that he had a restraining order or it really was very, very hush-hush. So what, what were the main years of the abuse? When you're, I mean, I, I'm guessing from your dad's, from, you know, birth and having your dad's mental health issues, it doesn't sound like your mom was very stable. Um, sounds like she might've had some codependency issues and stuff going on. So probably not a very stable environment from the get-go, right? Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And I remember really, really young that we moved around a lot and um, never really had a stable like home. And we were living with my grandma at one time for a few years and, and things like that. So it was, it was, I would, I would bet money on that it was never really stable because she did have codependency issues and, um, and she wasn't treated, honestly, I mean, you know, of course, you can look back on retrospect that she wasn't treated very nicely by my grandparents at all. I mean, still isn't. So I think that perpetuated that, you know, codependency on someone that, you know, she couldn't raise these kids by herself. So she thought, 
well, here's a man who will love me or supposedly love me, but he, she was definitely with the first boyfriend in domestic violence. She was hit, but my, my, my brother and I would, I vividly remember like trying to pick a fight so that she wouldn't get hit. Mm. Because he rarely that I remember she, he hit her, um, out in the open with us, but, um, in their bedroom, there was a lot of screaming. And so like my brother and I would, you know, kind of pick a fight so that he would come out and get us instead or whatever. Mm. And, you know, we definitely, um, did a lot of that. Yeah. So you said something about, you wondered, especially when the, the first guy went to jail, you wondered why that wasn't a red flag for your family or why your family didn't do anything. What family are you talking about? So uh, my mom has three sisters and um, uh, grandma, you know, I have, she has mom and dad, but my dad's family really wasn't in my the picture much because they were a little farther away. But um Yeah, my aunts, um, I mean, since then, I've kind of mentioned where I'd say somebody would mention the first guy and, oh, yeah, mom, you know, your mom was dating that guy. And I was like, yeah, let's just, he was a very bad man. And she, they're like, well, we kind of knew something was going on. And I'm just like thinking to myself, why didn't you say anything? You know, it's, it's boggles my mind that you could, you knew something was going on at the time and that you didn't say anything. And who's to know they did? And my mom just kind of appeased them and said, oh, it's fine. We're, we're doing fine. They might get a spanking for bad behavior. And that is not what it was. Yeah. So when you say like, you wonder why they didn't say anything or do anything, one, what do you think they could have done? And why do you think they were reluctant, reluctant to do that? Because I feel like it's probably pretty typical that, you know, family members, unless it's really direct and obvious in their face that they may, you know, try to mind their own business and let people parent the way they want to parent. And so I can imagine it being typical but we're also talking about children here. And so when we think of us within our own families or in our own networks, you know, I, I wonder about that too. What's the line? Where do you get involved? How do you get involved? So what do you think would have been the answer for your, for your situation? I definitely think that in my situation, someone should have asked us. And I think that at the time, I probably would have said something if someone would have asked me what was going on. And education on the difference between spanking, and yes, I do not believe in spanking either, but like there's a difference. And if a kid has bruises from and welts on their skin, there's something else going on. It is not a spanking. And you need to like follow through with it, like, and just be like, hey, why do they have these bruises? Why is this happening? And not take the parent who's in it, right? My mom's word for face value and investigate, like, and just maybe spend more time with the kids and find out more information and, and just 
say, hey, you know, what's going on at home? And, you know, is, is he mean to you? And how is he mean, you know, like, and open-ended questions, of course, because you don't want to lead the way and and have someone falsely accused but at the same time leave that open to where it's like hey what happens at home and and having that um awareness that you need it's your job to do that like it's not anyone else's it it's your family one you know it's your family these are your nieces and nephews or friends, you know, friends, kids, whatever the case is, like, think about, you know, those kids and what is best. Yes, you may not want to take them away from their family, but for a time being, maybe it's the best. So you bring up a, you bring up a really good point because, so here I'm thinking, okay, so, so ask the kid, that sounds fair. Ask the kid directly. If you have time with them alone, ask them what's going on. And then I'm thinking, you know, you want to report it to an outside source because if you just report it back to mom or report it back to somebody that's doing the abuse and neglect, it could fare even worse for the child. But then, then I'm going back to, you know, how do we keep, how do we keep kids with their biological parents? And like, if the mom just needs some support and maybe she needs some domestic violence support and a way out, like, how do we get her that? So, because it feels like, this could have easily gone into a situation where, okay, they make a call to Department of Children and Families, you get removed, your brother gets removed, you guys get separated, your mom is even more codependent on these men and the cycle doesn't doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. stop and, and it's not helpful. So do you think that your mom knew that there were issues in that she would have been receptive to help? Honestly, I don't because she just, I don't know that she didn't know any better, but it's that she just didn't know any other way to live, I think. And it's like, if she could cling on to this man, she couldn't be alone. I think that was a lot of her issue was that she just couldn't be alone. And so of course the men that, you know, target women or whatever that you know are alone with kids they'll they'll cling on to that and so she still even now I will try and like tell her why we do things with my daughter and like that she is not forced to hug anyone even her you know and and just setting those boundaries she just doesn't understand that there are boundaries that children need to have, even with their own parents. And and that she has the right to talk to me at any time and there are no secrets, period. And she tries to like say little things to her and oh, it's a secret and yeah, it's not a secret about a gift or whatever, it's a secret. And it's like, no, we don't have secrets because it's, I am her parent and she needs to trust me that that I'm doing the best for her and, you know, all of that. But anyway, my mom is not able to look past her own issues and codependency Mm. that, um, that she still to this day can't really admit that anything happened. So were you going to school at this point? Were there any, was there anybody at school or any teachers or like, did adults around you know what was going on outside of your family? 
So um, after, so the second boyfriend, we started uh, around 10, 10 or 11, I started going to church. And so um, I have found out since many years later that a few people have said, oh, I kind of knew something was going on at home. They didn't know anything because my mom wasn't going to church. It was my great aunt that was taking me. And so they had no exposure to her in any way and to know like kind of red signs or red flags or anything. But um, they have told me since then that they knew something was going on with us. So, so it sounds like your great aunt did do something that was beneficial for you and she got you plugged into the church so mm -hmm. that was helpful i can imagine how isolating it must feel when you're out in the community and adults don't really know what's going on at home and and you don't really know how to articulate it so you said that you don't think that your your mom would have been receptive to help and and i feel like this is such a good conversation to be having for this podcast because it's so easy for everyone to t say what they think their fix is and it's nice to say that we think that kids should stay with their biological parents it's nice to say that biological parents should get the support that they need and that we as a community need to step up and give them that support but it's a little rose-colored glasses to think that biological parents are ready to admit where they're at, that they are ready to become aware of their current situation, that they're ready to receive help, that they won't feel shame around their own deficiencies in parenting, right. um, and that they'll completely refuse or reject any help. So, yeah, I mean, I think if, if someone was to offer my mom help, she would just say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I, I really can see that as something that would occur because and it was just like i knew it wasn't right okay i remember i know from the time every every incident it was not an okay thing but i also didn't know if it was happening in other families so that's why i didn't talk about it because no one in my family talked about it so it was this kind of cycle of like hey let's let's just keep it under wraps you know, yeah, you're not getting hit anymore, but you know, at the same time, I'm still being um, not being taken care of and not being kept safe, even with the second boyfriend. I was not taken care of, and I mm -hmm. raised myself basically. And so, uh, to say that parents, oh yes, these parents who you know whether they're in bad background, you know, lower uh, economic status or not, I mean if they're in a domestic violence situation they it, it is so unlikely that they would accept help most of the time i would say because of their own past and just the cycle they've gotten into so in your mom's situation if if somebody had called the department and they were able to substantiate enough neglect or abuse where they did remove you from the home do you feel like that would have been something that would have triggered your mom to fall in line with whatever she needed to do to become the parent she needed to be for you um i think that it might have triggered her to 
kick the other guy out, the second guy out, but I'm not sure it would really have helped that much because she was just, I, I think it would have just, there was another man next, you know, there would have been another guy next, but mm. maybe it would have, I mean, maybe if like authorities would have been um, involved that she would have stepped it up. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, you can't say in hindsight what would have happened right. with us and good, bad, or ugly, but um, I mean, maybe she would have and just been like, okay, this is a problem and start the education of her of why it's a problem, you know, to her for why it's a problem. Sure. So you have, um, I've talked to you before we got on uh, this interview today and you feel like you've broken the cycle that that you do not raise your child in this environment and that you have been able to make certain gains in your lifetime to kind of break the cycle so what what were the main factors for your resilience and for you to be a productive healthy adult and parent i think um like i said i knew it wasn't right and so whether i went one extreme you know to the other extreme of being you know super parent <laughs> and wanting to be the perfect parent but um or not i think that the fact that i knew it wasn't right and i did have shame but it was not that i was keeping it a secret and like oh it didn't happen like it wasn't as bad as it was and it was always i knew this was not okay and i also had my church and i had like a lot of really great parents that i like to say my church parents i had like four different couples and they were as i mean normal couples with kids and i clung to them very very tightly and every summer i was gone um from home because i just didn't want to be there and so i went to church camps and spent time at my friends you know at my friends houses and things like that so those are things that helped um i think for me and also i was put in the helper like i had to take care of my brother very early on right. and so i think that for my side, I was always like, okay, I have to take care of everyone. I have to take care of my mom. I have to take care of my brother. I have to make sure he gets home for, you know, safe and all of that. And so that continued for a really long time that I was like, oh, let me help everyone. Let me, let me just help everyone. And so my brother, on the other hand, he was more of the baby victim kind of mentality. And he still is. He's, he's just made some choices that have not been great and kind of gone down that like drugs and alcohol and that we grew up with um that he's kind of gone the opposite way um and i think that he definitely is in that victim everybody take care of me kind of mm -hmm. mentality yeah and it's so amazing so like at first I was like listening to your story and I'm like, ah, oh, like there, there's no helping this situation because, you know, if we call Department of Children and Families, like, no, you know, nobody says going into foster care is a great thing. And we can't really help the bio mom because she doesn't really want help. And 
like, so what do we do? But then I love that you say like, well, there were families, there was a community that came around me and gave me a place to be and a, and a, a place to build identity and some ownership over your role in something that was healthy. And that's beautiful because that's a lot about what the stable moments model is about. And it's, it, it still puts a lot of the responsibility, which we like to do on this podcast on the community mm -hmm. to make sure that you're showing up in whatever way possible. And the fact that there were even multiple couples for you to glom onto and um, they are impactful enough in your story for you to bring them up today. And there, there weren't just one, there was multiple. That's so beautiful to me. And and gives hope to the community that it is true. It's still, it, you know, whether it's a bio parent, whether it's a, a child, it doesn't really matter as long as whoever is looking for the support that we're there for them. So you brought up your brother and I know we talked about this a little bit and I know that we both kind of talked about like nerding out a little bit on like psychology research around <laughs> uh, outcomes or whatever, but so, so, you have to wonder, right? Two people that show that grow up in the same environment. One is a successful adult, you know, by def by society's definition. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a job. You're self sufficient. You you give back to the community. Um, and then there's there's um, someone that comes out of that family who isn't self sufficient or or has substance abuse issues or makes poorer choices. So was was your brother treated different and did your brother have the same opportunities that you had as far as the church community so he was treated differently in the way that his abuse was more of you're worthless and i think mm -hmm. i got some of that but i know that from very early on i really remember every man that you know those two men just saying you're just nothing and you're a piece of crap and blah 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 and all of that and so a lot of it had to do with his identity that other people labeled him and him being the younger one everyone taking care of him and that not stopping as an adult i moved out of my mom's house at 19 and it was not fast enough um but he stayed there and so he still had that mom who was taking care of him and paying his bills and and whether she likes to say it or not she still does it and he's 40 41 41 40. wow um she still does it and he will find a girlfriend live with her mooch off her and until she loses, you know, loses the drive to put up with him, he moves back in with my mom. And it's just this cycle that he has gotten himself into. And he's never been able to keep a full-time job. He's never admitted that he has ADHD, even though he, um, he was in special ed for school um, throughout. But I think he had that, um, that judgment also in school because he was in special ed. And so he had that uh, other component, right? Of, um, of 
the learning disability and ADHD and all of and the stigma, feeling the stigma. bad about yeah, it. Yeah, the stigma that was already in a school system. Plus, you're already like beat down before you even get there, right? And so, right, it's like it's like both. You know, you come home and you're told you're worthless. You go to school, you already know that you're behind. Like, what what would make you feel like you have value? Right. And, and that's exactly what it is. And, and the fact that I think my mom's not letting him fail, like, you know, she, I said, you know, mom, he's never been homeless because he always mooches off another woman or you buy his cigarettes or you, you know, give him something. And it's like, now he has two kids. She can't just, you know, like, you know, not support him now. And they live with her and it's just, so, so he has two kids that live with your mom. And yes, he does. Yes. So they're not with their biological moms. Right. So the cycle continues. Wow. Let's just say that. Yeah. So how do you feel? How do you feel about how those kids are being raised and how you intervene or how you support those kids? Like, do you have a role there? I feel absolutely sick about them because... I see it because they were um, a huge incident happened recent, uh, about a year ago that the mom was passed out in her car and the kids were alone at my mom's um, space, uh, like a clubhouse naked. Uh, the police were called because my mom wasn't there because they were supposed to meet somewhere else to do the transfer of the kids. And anyway, the mom's on drugs, bipolar, lost custody was in jail all of that and before that my mom my brother had moved in with my mom because of the situation that wasn't good for my brother and the girlfriend so after that happened i basically i was almost like i'm taking those kids <laughs> that was my immediate reaction was like i'm sure. taking those kids i you know they do not need to be in this unstable environment and after I calmed down and, um, and just kind of like reevaluated, I looked at the kids individually and their behaviors and their um, attachment to my brother. And it actually is a healthy attachment. Whether I like his, you know, methods or not, he may not be a perfect parent, but his children love him and you can see it and you can see them doing, you know, normal behaviors of children and like allow, you know, having food, having water, having, you know, having diapers and right. all of that. And, yeah, right. and so basically my role is I am the aunt. I am every, every single time we talk on the phone, the, the little girl, it's a girl and a boy want to come to my house because they know I love them unconditionally and I give them hugs and, and not that they're not getting that from my mom and my brother, but it's like, I know that there's something drawing them to me and that's what they need. And that's the person I'm going to be. I'm going to be that person for them and give them things that they need emotionally. And so for the time being, I am just basically watching out the situation. <laughs> um, well, so they're, to your knowledge, they're not getting physically abused. They're not being told they're worthless right. every day. Um, so as much as, yeah, we love to make huge, you know, we like to end the cycle. 
or, you know, make huge generational leaps, any progress is better progress. You know, they aren't getting that they are not being raised in the exact same um, um, environment that y'all were. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that makes me not uh, at this time put action that I need to become their guardian. But uh, I'm definitely on alert with them and their behaviors and seeing how my brother is with them. And he does love them very much. And you can tell that he does. And it's not that withdrawn love that's just kind of like our codependent love, like my mom. And so um, he really, really does care for them. Whether he can get his act together to, you know, um, he's getting support through the county and all of that. So that has been um, really, he's been using that support that he needs to do. So I, I think that I'm hoping, I'm really hopeful because he's in school right now and I'm hoping that he's getting some positive things in his life that will change it around for his kids. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear he's in school. Anything that's bettering, you know, himself or even makes him feel at all, you know, more accomplished or some of that confidence, I think is a great thing. And it's really cool to show his kids that it doesn't really matter when, but that you can accomplish things and and that you can work hard. And so it's nice to know that he's in school. Yeah. Well, so I ask this to everyone that comes on, but what are your thoughts about how we end the foster care crisis or simply like cycles of abuse? I think honestly, educating children, like just the general like children Mm. that they have worth and to somehow, I don't know, drill it into them, but is the right word, but just like immerse them in this like, you have a voice, you are important. And just that in itself, I think can change, even if a kid is in a, an abusive situation, right? And, and even if um, they, you know, may not be in the most ideal situation, they at least can cling on to this, like, hey, wait a minute, maybe at home, I'm not told something, you know, but maybe I am. And even that small voice for me that help I held on to that Mm. I held I hold on to that hope that okay this isn't great but there's hope for better but because when you don't have hope that's when you start you know you continue the cycle I I feel and you continue the cycle of abuse and just like that cycle of neglectful kid, you know, the neglect towards kids or finding a husband that's domestic violent, you know, that will, you know, hit you and, and just kind of continue that cycle. But if you can just know that you are worth something and that you have value and purpose in the world, because There's a lot of people, even if they aren't abusing their kids, don't tell their kids that there's unlimited potential in the world, like unlimited. You have the world at your feet. And if you can show your kids that, that is just, don't tell them they can't be an artist because they're not good at it right now. They can make mistakes. Mm. You know, it just, 
that that to me is why um, I had told you before that I'm working. I have decided to start coaching with kids and and start with you know any child, but eventually I do want to focus more on abused children because I know that. Um, it can turn one way or the other as, you know, after the abuse happens. And even when you're out of the situation, it's not over. It is not over by a long shot. And there's so much that can be done for the kids to help them not, well, one, like I didn't choose an abusive husband, right? I, I didn't choose uh, someone who would abuse me, but at the same time, that could happen right? Very early on, you could meet someone because you turn 18 and you just want to be out of your mom's house. So you pick anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And then it just continues. But just, yeah, just educating the kids. And even after um, it happens that, you know, just support them and just be there for them. Even if you don't know that it happened, just being there for kids. I, I love, I love everything you just said, um, you know, and I don't, I, I love it. I investing in the individual and kind of delivering them this reason to make choices that are good for them is, I don't know if anybody could disagree with that. But one thing that you said that really stuck out was, you know, don't tell them they can't be an artist because they suck at it right now. Like, allow them to try. And my husband and I were reading this article recently that was like actually saying, you know, we feel good as parents saying like, you're so smart, you're so mm -hmm. brilliant. But actually they, this article was saying to stop praising their smarts and start praising their efforts. Yes. Because a lot of the kids that are in these like reach classes or are very smart, and he sees this, he's a middle school teacher, that if you give them something that's a challenge that they like, they're used to like not even having to read the book and acing the test. Yeah. So if they come in and they actually have to read the book and they fail the test, then it's stupid. They actually don't want to try because life's been easy for them and they've always been praised for being good. So they actually choose things that are easy for them um, so that they can just accomplish and get the reward of being told you're so smart. Right. Whereas if we, if we actually praise effort and we say like, good try, or that was an awesome, I love how you keep getting up. I love how you keep working at it. Like, and we, we try and we show them that effort is the value. Mm -hmm. Then you get kids that keep going in for more and keep challenging themselves and actually become their potential rather than being scared of challenge because they're not going to get the reward of the praise that they always get for being smart. So for, right. for whatever reason you saying the, uh, I, that really resonated me with me when you said, you know, don't just because they're they're not a great artist now, don't tell them that they should be focusing on something else, but but praising the effort. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, definitely, and and focusing on, um, you know, even like focusing on values you believe in your family, like you know, trust and and those kind of things spread. I feel like they spread. My daughter was telling me the other day that um, there was a new girl at school and and I could see that she was very shy. I had I had seen her pass by and very quiet and kind of withdrawn. And my daughter's like, oh, there was a new girl today. And she's like, she didn't have anybody to play with. So me and my friend went over and played with her. And I'm like, wow, that was very welcoming. I said, 
how did that make you feel? And how did that make her feel? And, you know, she just told me how about, and she just had the biggest smile on her face and just being a good friend to other people and just spreading that, like those values to your kids, because those things can go to other kids. I mean, who's to know if that, you know, I'm not saying that kid has an issue or at home, but like, who's to say they didn't, right? And, and that you're being their friend at that moment spread some joy in their life, right? Just that little twinge of like, hey, I had this girl at this new school who made an effort to be my friend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it changes everything. Like her, her experience that day could have been really sad and isolating and it wasn't. And, and it's, it's those little moments that, you know, build on top of each other and really can change the trajectory for a kid. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I love that you brought up values. <laughs> it reminded me of one of the, one of the first guys I dated and I dated a few doozies, but uh, mm -hmm. one of the first guys I, I asked him like, what are your values? And he was like, whatever yours are. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so just maybe even saying the word value, maybe talking about what values even are and allowing kids to come up with their own, you know, like what do in putting words to things that you know your kids do value so that they understand what that even means. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, that's a big deal. And, and I don't know, I think there's um, a lot of kids and a lot of adults that haven't stopped to really think what's most important to them. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I am strong. I am a strong believer that those things can prevent like kid on kid abuse, right? I mean, kid, you know, bullying on kids or like, you know, you know, a child has a hard life right at home and they like reflected on, you know, my kid or whatever, but like the treatment like that my daughter had, you know, the, the strength that my daughter has or doesn't have that affects my child, right? I mean, I may not want her, I may have a very strict, you know, policy on sleepovers and all of that, but there's nothing I can do about another kid bullying her and sure. abusing her in that way, right? There's nothing I can do about that. But her, you know, her values and her self-worth is not based on, you know, mm. me telling her she's pretty or things like that. And, and she had, she had a friend the other day say to her, oh, my friend Abby's um, mom doesn't like me or she doesn't, she hates me or something. The little girl told my daughter that. And I said, well, how does that make you feel? And she kind of smiled and she's like, well, she doesn't really know me. And I said, you're exactly right. And I said, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, you know, you can bring value on that. And it really was right. just a fib that the kid tried to get attention out of, right? She wanted, mm. she wanted my daughter to say something to her about her mom or badmouth her mom or, you know, I don't know what she wanted from the conversation, but my daughter didn't take it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like those little things are things that, I mean, for me in my, you know, every parent is a, is a doubter and sometimes you feel like a great mom and other times you don't, but like to me, that is a valuable characteristic. You know, that is something I will value in her and who she is. 
and hope to foster that, you know, and spread the love to other kids. And at my daughter's school, everyone comes over and hugs me. And I don't ask for hugs. I have never been one to do that. All these kids just come over and hug me and talk to me every single day. And I'm like, I'm going to spread that love. I'm going to give that kid a hug, a side hug, uh, you know, totally with boundaries. But I am going to spread that love because maybe this is the hug that they want needed after school that they don't get at home. Yeah, and I I, I really love that. And I think that, you know, talk, when we're talking about your parenting, it's just so clear how you have so obviously broken the cycle, but you know, we can't discredit your past and I, I think that it's fair to suggest that because of your past you have this great capacity for empathy for children um, for the children that come up and give you hugs for parenting i mean it has created you know this this greater capacity to give to others that's how i see it um and so you know there's there's silver linings with with a lot of things and, and a lot of stuff that we go through. So tell people what your plans are, where you're going from here. I know, uh, did I understand that you had some children book stuff going on? So I'm working on be uh, on a book, on a memoir, and I think it's going to be more of a collaborative one. I'm going to start um, reaching out to others who were abused to tell their story because I feel like it is so freeing. And honestly, this is the first time in a public realm I'm sharing my story. And it was a huge, I feel like it's a huge step in the right direction for me. And um, I feel like maybe there's others that need that, that may not be brave enough to to do something like this, but maybe they can rewrite their story and just have that as a, freeing experience to lessen that shame and um, I've done a lot of self-work um, I'm doing more self-work right now um, just on you know how to make this situation into something good mm -hmm. and that's my point in my life and my purpose right now is to make this something where maybe someone else maybe a 20 year old who was abused when they were young realized at 20 instead of when I was like, you know, 35, um, that they have worth and that they can change that shame and they can, you know, make it into something better, you know, for the greater good and to help others. And that's really my mission right now. And so I'm writing a book and then I'm going to write some I really want to do some kind of empowering girls type series, um, maybe for like elementary kids. And I have a bunch of ideas for that and coaching for kids, like I said. Um, so I just bought a website domain and, um, and so I'm working on maybe a blog. So yeah, going forward. Are you at a point where you're ready to promote that? So not the blog because I, I know, but I do have an email specifically for that. And it's called uh, resilient child solutions at gmail.com. Just resilient child solutions 
at gmail.com. So you can reach me there if they want to talk to me. If there's any survivors that want to, you know, that want to share their story and are brave to do that, I would love for them to reach out to me and talk more. And even if they're not, I mean, if they want just somebody to listen to them, um, that I would love that. Well, I'll make sure to put that email address in the show notes. Um, I, I, I agree with you. You know, you and I met off some Facebook forum and that wasn't even about foster care or abuse or anything. And it's very interesting how the internet has afforded us the opportunity to all co connect. And I do feel like the collective voice is kind of where we're at. You know, the point of this podcast was kind of to get everybody's voice together because rather than sitting at home with your strong opinion, let's talk about if that would even work. And I think that we kind of dived into a lot of how some of the things that we have said on this podcast would be the best solutions might not always work. So, but the one thing that remains true is being supportive to whoever is ready for support. And I love that your path is taking you on um, helping more children um, and, and investing in more children. And hopefully you do get other people that want to share their story, especially if you give them a safe space and possibly able to do it anonymously. Um, mm -hmm. I know how healing it can be to get your story out. Yeah. And yeah, and I, and my website, I, I'm going to work on the website, but just having a place to like, there's so much out there that you can use to help you and just being brave enough to take that first step to like start healing from it and realize that there's something better, you know, that can come out of this. Mm, I love it. Well, it was mm -hmm. so refreshing talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I will definitely link to that email in the show notes and I will let you know when uh, this is out so that you can preview it and share it. Okay. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. All bye. right. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that is our episode for today. I hope you really enjoyed Shannon's story and I really want to thank her for being as brave as she was and sharing that. I know it's a lot of personal information and when you put it out there, it can be scary, but I do hope if you have a story or you want to start your healing or you want to tell your story of your childhood, go ahead and go on her email and talk to her about that. And if you have some reservations, you know, tell her about those and maybe you can work out something where you share part of it and not the full amount, but something that might help other people understand that a lot of us have had some adverse childhood events and you know the more of us that do tell our stories the more other people feel less isolated and we start talking about these things and family members like in Shannon's case actually feel okay speaking up and asking the child like hey is something going on at home so I really love that she said the one thing that she would have liked is for somebody to ask the kids somebody to just bring it up to her or ask her what was going on. And I think that's a really important takeaway. Um, if you think something's going on, you know, can you ask the kids? Are you in a position to be able to just ask like what's going on in a very open and curious way, not in a judging way, 
not in a you know accusatory way but just understanding a child's experience a little bit better and at the very least if you see a child that's acting a certain way or hanging out with your kids or has behaviors that are not as redeeming as as you would like them try to just extend that empathy and understand that they may not have all the opportunities that your kids have or maybe they've experienced some trauma maybe they aren't with their parents of origin you know like let's not make any assumptions and ask yourself how are you showing up for the children in your community even in simple daily interactions like picking your kids up from daycare or from school or sporting events I want to thank the few people that went ahead and left an Apple review. I noticed them. I saw them. They brought me joy and they totally help. So thank you so much for leaving those reviews. If you haven't done so yet and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please go on there and leave a rating and a review. It's really helpful. Make sure to share this episode if it was helpful for you. If you know somebody that has endured childhood abuse and could possibly benefit from it or might want to share their story, please share it. All right, guys, I can't wait to do this again next week. Talk to you then.